We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all of these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Away we go, episode 173 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Monday, October 25th, 2021. What is the first day of the final work week of the month of October? And I'm not sure that this month of October can end soon enough for the Washington football team. It has been one bad thing after another for this team this month. Yes, the win at the Atlanta Falcons in week four technically happened this month, happened on October 3rd. But boy, does that feel like a while ago. Since then, three consecutive losses for Washington to say nothing of all of the bad off the field stuff that has taken place this month for Washington. Ryan Vermillion, the Washington Post report on the team having tried to pay 
hush money to former female team employees, the Bruce Allen emails, the Sean Taylor number 21 retirement debacle, congressional involvement in the Washington football team's workplace misconduct scandal. Can we end October prematurely? Are we allowed to do that? Is there such a thing as a mercy rule for a month for an NFL team? No? You mean Washington actually has to play its last remaining game for this month at the Denver Broncos this Sunday afternoon at 425. Maybe a new start time for a game this season will change Washington's luck. No fan am I of the 425 p.m. start time, but you know what? If it means Washington actually winning a game again, then I'm all for it. Hello and welcome to a Washington football team post-game show installment of the Al Galdi podcast. I wish that we were speaking under better circumstances, but sadly, we are not. Our Washington football team now is 2-5, and five, a 24-10 loss at the Green Bay Packers on Sunday afternoon. Washington's point differential now is at minus 64 on the season. This is a bad football team, people, okay? We can talk about why. We can talk about what those things mean and what they are a function of, but this team is 2-5 and five with a minus 64 point differential. That's not good. Uh, four of the five losses have each been by at least 11 points, and the one loss that wasn't sure felt like it was, right? The 2016 loss to the Los Angeles Chargers at FedEx Field in week one. Next segment, the front five, my five biggest takeaways off the game. I have many, many thoughts for you on the Washington football team beyond those thoughts in the front five. You will hear all of the key post-game audio from Ron Rivera, Taylor Heineke, and others. Also on the show, I will talk college football. Uh, Maryland spanked at Minnesota. Is this another season in which the Terrapins are cratering after a nice start? Virginia wins another shootout, this time at home over Georgia Tech, thanks to another excellent game for Brennan Armstrong. Virginia Tech loses late at home to Syracuse. Does Justin Fuente still have a job? Uh, I don't know. I haven't checked Twitter in the last 30 seconds. And a gutsy effort by Navy in a home loss to number two, Cincinnati. And I'll give you segments on the Capitals and the Wizards off wild games for those teams at Capital One Arena over the weekend. For the Caps, a 4-3 overtime loss to the Calgary Flames on Saturday afternoon. For the Wizards, a crazy, a cray-cray, 135-134 overtime win over the Indiana Pacers on Friday night. If you do not already subscribe to this podcast, please consider subscribing to the podcast. Doing so Costs you nothing and helps out the cause that is the Al Galdi podcast quite a bit. So I thank you for uh, considering that. And if you already subscribe, I thank you very much for doing that. Also, if you have like 30 seconds to kill, especially if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please give the podcast a five-star rating if you haven't yet done that. And please write just like a one or two-sentence review saying how much you like the podcast if you haven't yet done that. Again, those things help out the podcast. And again, I very much appreciate uh, you guys for doing those things. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Lots of feedback, as you might expect, on the Washington football team off the loss at the Packers. Email from Luke Archer, writes Luke, I think in this game, the Washington offense didn't do all that bad, and Taylor Heineke had a good game against a good Packers defense. I was just very upset about the missed opportunities that we had to score. Yes, many, many, many missed opportunities in this game, Luke. I'll be getting to those coming up shortly. Email from Jim D writes, Jim, well, after the Heineke fumble to start the half, I stopped watching but was alerted of the final on my phone afterwards. The talent, in my opinion, is there, but they just cannot get out of their own way with either poor execution or bad coaching every single week. Right now, they are just a bad football team 
Plain and simple. Six trips inside the Green Bay 30 and only three points to show from those efforts. The Denver game next week will determine my investment in this team for the rest of the season because if they don't care, I won't either. I hear you, Jim. I hear you. Well, something that you should care about is who your real estate agent is if you're trying to sell your home. Don't get sucked into paying a real estate agent 6%, 7%, 8% commission. Instead, call John Grandland of Real Broker. Nobody will do a better job of selling your home, and nobody will adapt your situation better than John G. will, and that's because he offers commission flex, which is like Ron Rivera's favorite thing, position flex, although John's commission flex is working out much better than Ron's position flex is these days. Position flex. Yes, Ron, position flex. Well, what is commission flex, you ask? It's simple, flexible commission rates. You see, not every house requires the same amount of work or money spent marketing, so why should you pay the same fees? It doesn't make sense. It's never made sense. John Grandlin will put a marketing plan together for you that will maximize your home's value and help you keep more of your hard-earned equity in your pocket. John G. has a menu of commission packages from which you can choose, including selling your home for free. Yeah, you heard that right, for free, zero commission some conditions do apply. But interviewing John Granlin is a no-brainer. He can come by your house, give you a step-by-step plan on what to do to get top dollar, and maybe even more importantly, what not to do so you don't spend needlessly and there is never any obligation to list or sell. So if you need to sell your home and aren't sure to whom to turn, if you've been trying to sell your home and you're not satisfied with how things are going, if you're even just thinking about selling your home, do yourself a favor and call John Granlin. This is a phone call that could make and or save you tens of thousands of dollars. You have nothing to lose. Call John G now, 703-537-6747. When you talk to John G, make sure that you tell him that Al Galdi sent you and make sure that you ask John G about what you keep hearing about on the Al Galdi podcast, Commission Flex. That phone number again, 703-537-6747, or visit johngsellsforfree.com. That's johngsellsforfree.com. John Grandlin, nobody will do a better job of selling your home. And remember, he is the originator of Commission Flex. Position Flex. Yes, Ron, just like Position Flex. And maybe, just maybe, at some point this season, Position Flex will work out a bit better than it's working out right now. All right, time now for the front five. My five biggest takeaways off the Washington football team falling to two and five with this 24-10 loss at the Green Bay Packers on Sunday afternoon. Takeaway number one, Washington has many problems and isn't good enough in any particular aspect to overcome these problems. Every NFL team is flawed in some way, right? But the best NFL teams are particularly good at one thing, maybe even more than one thing, to where those teams can overcome their flaws. Well, Washington is just not that good at any particular thing, and that really is standing out as this season goes on. So you think about, okay, this season's Washington football team, a number of problems exist, right? I mean, in no particular order, you have a defense that isn't very good, especially against the pass. You have a multitude of free agent busts from this past offseason at this point. Curtis Samuel, Ryan Fitzpatrick, William Jackson III, each of Washington's top three biggest free agent acquisitions from this past offseason has been a flop so far this season. Now, when you look at Samuel and Fitzpatrick, those guys being flops, 
has more to do with injury than anything. But, you know, for this loss at the Packers, all three guys were unavailable due to injury. And whatever the reason, Samuel Fitzpatrick and Jackson were supposed to be three pillars for Washington this season. And Washington has gotten basically nothing out of Samuel, basically nothing out of Fitzpatrick, and has seen Jackson underperform. And now he's hurt because he was inactive for the loss of the Packers due to a knee injury. Uh, Washington has a lack of true impact rookies. At least right now, the 2021 draft for the Washington football team was not an overly fruitful one. Now that can change. You don't evaluate a draft just a few months after the draft takes place. But with the exception of Samuel Cosme, and he now has missed the last two games due to this ankle injury, no Washington rookie has been that impressive. You know, Jamin Davis, Benjamin St. Juice, Deami Brown, those guys have gotten playing time, but all three have been pretty underwhelming, at least so far. Uh, Washington's offense right now is being ravaged by injury. And Washington's offense isn't that good to begin with. The schedule has been as tough as anticipated. On and on, I could go. Washington has these problems, right? So Washington has these things and isn't good enough at any one thing to overcome these problems. Like with the defense, okay? It would be one thing if the defense was bad, but Washington had a great offense that could overcome playing with a bad defense or had a great quarterback who could overcome playing with a bad defense. Neither is the case. It would be one thing if the offense wasn't that good, but the defense was great. Remember, this defense was supposed to be great. Has that been close to great this season? The defense was supposed to lead the way to victories this season. That has not been the case. Everything that Washington has and does this season is mediocre to poor. And that, to me, was really crystallized in this loss at the Packers. You know, this was not an offensive loss. This was not an embarrassing loss. This was an expected, pretty much inevitable loss. And that right there says everything about the state of this team right now. It just isn't that good. This season, at least so far, and things can change, but this season, at least so far, at least right now, has not been the step forward season that we were hoping that the season would be. And this is where we are. And specific to this loss at the Packers, you think about, okay, Washington had four fumbles. Washington had a brutal drop in the end zone. Washington threw an interception in the end zone. Washington went 0 for 4 in the red zone. Washington had a field goal attempt that was blocked. Washington is not good enough to overcome all of these things in a game, especially in a game at the great Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, who came into the game 5-1 and one on the season. Take a listen to this from Jonathan Allen, who had a very good game, I thought, on Sunday during his post-game press conference. Batted balls that could be interceptions, sacks that we miss, fumbles that we don't get, just little stuff like that. Defensively, we're, we're close. Offensively, we're close. As a team, we're close. But the good teams make the plays that we're not making right now. So, Jonathan Allen says that Washington is, wait for it, close. It means you're close. Yes, just like Bruce Allen said a few years ago. You see, maybe Brucey wasn't so wrong after all. He said that Washington was close, and you all ridiculed Brucey. You all mocked Brucey. Well, now Jonathan Allen is saying that Washington is close. Defensively, we're, we're close. Offensively, we're close. As a team, we're close. Yeah, you see, Bruce, you were right. Washington is close. It means you're close. 
Yeah, somebody send Bruce an email and let him know uh, that Washington is close. Washington is 2-5 and five with a minus 64-point differential. Washington is not nearly as close as we'd like to think that Washington is. Takeaway number two, Taylor Heineke was better, but wasn't good enough. So Taylor Heineke bounced back from his back-to-back bad performances and the home losses to the New Orleans Saints at Kansas City Chiefs, but he wasn't great. You know, we may well have reached the point here with Heineke where we see what he is and he just isn't much more. You know, he's a good backup quarterback, but he's a bottom third of the NFL starting quarterback. Now, look, he has only made seven starts regular season and postseason as a Washington quarterback. He has only made eight starts regular season and postseason as an NFL quarterback. I'm not a big fan of just declaring with certainty what a quarterback is after just eight regular season and postseason starts. But it's not unreasonable to think that what we've seen from Heineke this month is just what he ultimately is going to prove to be. He's not terrible. He's not even really bad, but he's not consistently great. He's not even consistently good. Now, look, it does look like he's going to be Washington's starting quarterback for at least a little while longer here. You know, it does not look like Heineke is going anywhere anytime soon, barring injury. So Ryan Fitzpatrick is, of course, on the reserve injured list on which Washington placed him on September 14th due to the right hip subluxation that was suffered in the loss to the Los Angeles Chargers at FedEx Field in week one. We finally got a concrete Fitzpatrick update on Sunday morning. The first real true Fitzpatrick update that we've received in a while. NFL insider Ian Rappaport of NFL Network and NFL.com on Sunday morning reported that Fitzpatrick is, quote, still weeks away from returning, end quote, and is, quote, still on crutches around the facility. Another sign that his comeback is not close, end quote. Uh, Rappaport added that, quote, while all parties are hopeful he will return this season, the rehab has gone slower than expected, and it is not a certainty that he makes it back onto the field at all. End quote. So this had been suspected that the Ryan Fitzpatrick recovery was not going as uh, swimmingly as the team would like. And sure enough, that's what Rappaport is reporting, that while it's still possible Fitzpatrick comes back to play this season, it's not happening anytime super soon. And it may well be that Fitzpatrick doesn't play again this season. So that may well help to explain why Ron Rivera has been so publicly supportive of Taylor Heineke. Ron knows that uh, old Fitzy ain't coming back anytime soon. And, you know, as time goes on, it becomes clearer and clearer that Ron just isn't that interested for whatever reason in starting Kyle Allen. So Heineke, you know, barring something changing here, is going to be Washington's QB1 for at least a little while longer. Heineke in this loss at the Packers, 25-37 for 268 yards. That's 7.24 yards per pass attempt. He had a touchdown pass did have an interception. He took four sacks, including a sack strip for a lost fumble. He had 10 carries for 95 yards and a fumble that he recovered. By the way, Heineke's 95 rushing yards, the second most for a quarterback in Washington franchise history. Yeah, the only quarterback in Washington history to ever rush for more than 95 yards in a game, Robert Griffin III, who rushed for a buck 38 on October 14th. 2012, the 38-26 win over the Minnesota Vikings 
at FedEx Field. That was the game in which RG3 had the famous fourth quarter, third and six, 76-yard electrifying touchdown run. RG3 electrifying! Yes, electrifying. Uh, RG3 finished the game with 13 carries for 138 yards and two touchdowns. But that's it. That's the only game in which a Washington quarterback has ever had more rushing yards than Heineke's 95 rushing yards in this loss at the Packers on Sunday afternoon. So we went from Heineke having zero rushing attempts in the loss to the Chiefs at FedEx Field in Week 6 to Heineke having the second most rushing yards by a Washington quarterback in a game in franchise history. Now, also for Heineke in this loss at the Packers on Sunday afternoon was him quarterbacking a Washington offense that went just 4 of 11 on third downs, went just 1 of 4 on fourth downs, and went 0 of 4 in the red zone despite the Packers defense having allowed a touchdown on each of its opponent's 15 red zone possessions this season. You probably heard that stat at some point in the days leading up to the game or maybe even during the game on Sunday. Yeah, Green Bay's defense through week six had been 0 for 15 in the red zone this season in terms of preventing the opposing team from scoring a touchdown. Well, it's now 4 of 19, thanks to Washington going 0 of 4 in the red zone on Sunday afternoon. Leave it to the Washington football team to get a struggling red zone defense off the schneid, as ended up happening on Sunday afternoon. Also note this, the Packers were without some key guys on defense. Uh, The Pack was without former Washington edge rusher Preston Smith due to an oblique injury, yet Preston was inactive. So that snaps his streak. Preston had never missed a regular season game or a postseason game in his NFL career of having been taken by Washington in the second round of the 2015 NFL Draft. Also, the Packers were without corner Kevin King due to a shoulder injury. So Preston inactive, Kevin King inactive. Uh, those guys inactive in addition to edge rushers Darius Smith being on the reserve injured list. So this was a Packers defense that was missing key guys, and yet Washington was unable to capitalize. So the bad for Taylor Heineke in this game. He threw a bad interception. You know, he's good for at least one of these a game, it feels like. Washington's eighth offensive drive, the 13th snap of the drive on a third and eight at the Packers 12 with Washington trailing 24-7 in the fourth quarter. Taylor Heineke threw a shotgun interception to corner Chandon Sullivan in the end zone for a touchback. The target was Adam Humphreys. He was not open. This was another one of these bad interceptions by Taylor Heineke. You know, it feels like every interception he throws is the result of a bad decision, a bad throw. You know, it's rare that it's like a tip ball or something like that. And Heineke had one of these bad picks late in this loss. Uh, Taylor Heineke had the major boo-boo on what should have been a touchdown run. Washington, sixth offensive drive, the 11th snap of the drive on a third quarter, third and goal at the three. Taylor Heineke dropped down too soon. And thus his left knee was down at the one on what ended up being a two-yard shotgun scramble Upon replay review, the officials decided that Heineke had given himself up. You know, you want to debate that, that's fine. But why was that play even close? Get the ball across the goal line and make it a no-doubter of a touchdown run. Heineke, unfortunately, did not do that. He was Heineke during his post-game press conference on Sunday on that run. Well, when I was going towards the goal line, I saw a couple defenders coming in and started to pursue me. And... I didn't know if I was going to take a big hit or not, so I thought, hey, let's just kind of dive and squeeze my way in there. Um, so for them to say that I was giving myself up on the, you know, one-inch yard line, um, you know, it's their 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 decision to call that. But um, 
you know, it is what it is. Yes, it is. And then on the 12th snap of the drive, on a fourth and goal at the one, Taylor Heineke fumbled on a quarterback sneak run for no gain. Now, he did recover the football and then extended the football past the goal line, but that ended up not counting as he was ruled down prior to the extension. Washington challenged the runner, broke the plane ruling, but the initial call was upheld. Uh, Ron Rivera during his postgame press conference on Sunday on what he was told by the officials. Uh, the interpretation they gave me was he, he, they couldn't tell whether he was down or not. They're not saying the ball didn't break the plane on the second, ch- second effort, but what they did say was they, they couldn't tell that his knee wasn't down. You know, I just thought he was laying on bodies, and if you're laying on bodies, you're not down. But they said they couldn't see if his knee was, was on the ground or not. That's the interpretation I was given. All right, so it's a little confusing because Ron right there says that the explanation that he was given from the officials was that this was about whether Taylor Heineke was down or not as he was trying to extend the football past the goal line. And Ron says, well, I thought he wasn't down because he was laying on top of a bunch of bodies, and the ruling ended up being, well, no, Heineke was down. If you go, though, by the NFL's official game book for this game, which is, to me, the thing to always go by because that's the thing that's put together by the NFL official scores and by the league. And this is supposed to be the official log of what went down in the game. What is in the official play-by-play of the game is that what was being reviewed was whether the runner broke the plane, the play was upheld. Look, whatever the case may be, Taylor Heineke did this to himself by not scoring on that initial run, by not scoring on the third and goal at the three run, okay? His left knee ended up being down. The officials ruled that he gave himself up, whether they should have ruled that or not. Get the ball past the goal line, and don't even make that an issue. It became an issue. He then had the fourth and goal at the one, and then Heineke fumbled the football on the quarterback sneak. To his credit, recovered the football and made that second effort, but you don't know how these plays are going to be taken so instead of making it ambiguous or gray area, just score the touchdown on that third and goal scramble. And Heineke did not do that. Uh, also, Taylor Heineke had a lost fumble in this game. Washington's fifth offensive drive was the opening drive of the second half. What a nightmare way for Washington's second half to begin. On the second snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, an early third quarter lost fumble on a second and four sack by linebacker Rashawn Gary, who beat Charles Leno Jr. And the ensuing Packers offensive drive resulted in Aaron Rodgers' third quarter, third and three, 20-yard shotgun touchdown pass to tied in Robert Tunyon, who beat Jamin Davis, ensuing extra point, gave the Packers a 21-7 lead. That was a huge swing right there. Also, Taylor Heineke was off on multiple throws. Washington's second offensive drive resulted in Chris Blewett's second quarter 42-yard field goal attempt that was blocked, the ninth snap of the drive and the snap right before the blocked field goal attempt, Taylor Heineke threw too high on a third and five deep shotgunning completion intended for Terry McLaurin, who was open. That was a big miss by Heineke, and that miss was made even bigger by the fact that Blewett's field goal attempt got blocked. Washington's third offensive drive resulted in a second quarter turnover on downs. Four snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke threw high on a third and three shotgunning completion intended for J.D. McKissick, who took a shot from safety in Maryland product. Darnell Savage. And then I thought that Taylor Heineke took a bad sack late in the game. Washington's ninth offensive drive resulted in Chris Blewett's fourth quarter 45-yard field goal that cut Washington's deficit to 24-10. The third snap of the drive on a first and goal at the nine, Taylor Heineke had no chance on a sack that was split by interior defensive lineman Kingsley Kiki 
and linebacker Rashad Gary for an eight-yard loss. So I don't fault Heineke for that sack. But on the fifth snap of the drive, on a third and goal at the 14, Taylor Heineke took a sack by Kiki for a 13-yard loss. That was a sack that could not be taken, and that was not one of these insta-sacks, okay? There was some time with which Heineke could maneuver. And uh, he just kind of stood there in the pocket. I know he's trying to make a play downfield. I know it's not easy, okay? But you've got to find a way to avoid the sack. And Heineke did not do that in that spot. So Heineke was not great in this game, but he also did do a number of good things in the game. Like if I'm giving Taylor Heineke a grade for this performance, I'm doing like a C-plus type performance, you know? I thought it was more good than bad, but the bad certainly was pronounced. And you can't just, you know, uh, ignore the bad. And you certainly can't not focus on the bad, uh, at least for a bit here, in your Taylor Heineke evaluation. But there was a good bit of good for Heineke in this game. Washington's first offensive drive, eight plays, 83 yards, resulted in Taylor Heineke's first quarter, first and 10, 40 yards. Shotgun play action, touchdown pass to Terry McLaurin on a 50-50 ball by Heineke, who made the pass while being pressured by linebacker Jalen Smith, the ensuing extra point tied the game at seven. Third snap of that drive, by the way, Taylor Heineke, a third and one, eight-yard shotgun read option run. I mentioned the 95 rushing yards for Heineke. I'm not sure that we had seen a true read option run for Heineke this season. If we had, we certainly had not seen many of those runs. Heineke on Washington's first offensive drive on a third and one gives us an eight-yard Shotgun read option run. Love seeing that. Seventh snap of the drive in the snap right before the touchdown. Taylor Heineke, a first and 10, 12-yard shotgun play action completion to a wide open Terry McLaurin on a pass that was high. That was a nice catch there by Terry, but Heineke was off uh, on that throw. Washington's third offensive drive resulted in a second quarter turnover on downs. First snap of the drive. Taylor Heineke, a first and 10, 38-yard under center play action scramble up the A-gap. Terrific run. Washington's seventh offensive drive resulted in a late third quarter turnover on down. Second snap of the drive. DeAndre Carter, a second and four, 27-yard run on a shotgun handoff end around play. He fumbled the football, but who recovered the football? Taylor Heineke, who off blocking on the play, recovered the football at the Packers 23. And then on the next snap on the drive, Taylor Heineke, a first and 10, 12-yard Shotgun scramble. Taylor Heineke was really good with his legs in this game and did make some big throws in this game. And I don't want to minimize those things. Rod Rivera during his postgame press conference on Sunday on Heineke's performance. I thought uh, Taylor was impressive. Um, you know, he did make a, uh, a couple of mistakes, but he's going to as a young uh, young guy gaining experience. But you know, you got a lot of conf- I got a lot of confidence that he's going to be able to move us. You know, now we as a football team got- just got to continue to grow and get better. Yeah, I tell you that right there does that sound like a head coach who is nearing benching his starting quarterback? Look, Taylor Heineke is competitive. Taylor Heineke is feisty. Taylor Heineke is a very likable player. Taylor Heineke is a very easy player to root for. But one of the undeniable lessons of Washington's 2021 season so far is the value of the true franchise quarterback. Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers. You know, is Taylor Heineke one of those guys? Can he ever be one of those guys? And if not, then don't you have to reach the conclusion that while Heineke can certainly be Washington's QB2, this issue of him potentially being Washington's QB1 needs to be put to rest. And look, some of you reached your answer to that question before Heineke ever took a snap 
this season. I just wanted to see more of Taylor Heineke. We are seeing more, and the more we see, the more I know that I move to the conclusion of I love so many things about Taylor Heineke. Very good QB2. In a pinch, he can be a QB1 for you. For a stretch of time, he can be a QB1 for you. But in terms of moving forward with him as your QB1, we just have not seen enough from him to be able to say that. And I don't know that we're going to see enough from him to be able to say that. But this is the ultimate question with Taylor Heineke, right? What truly can he be as an NFL quarterback? Each game for Heineke is a data point. And as we continue to accumulate the data points, more and more it feels like the answer is becoming clearer and clearer. Things can change, okay? Nothing is set in stone. But for now, I think that's where we're at with that question. Well, if you have questions or concerns regarding your skin, uh, contact Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. Dr. Verghese is a board-certified dermatologist at Mohs Surgeon. He is one of the nation's premier dermatologists. He's a big Washington football team fan and listener of this podcast. And operating under his direction is the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. The Institute focuses on medical skin care, cosmetic procedures, and skin cancer diagnosis and comprehensive care. Again, if you have questions about your skin, if you have concerns about your skin, if you are dealing with skin cancer, if you have dealt with skin cancer, contact Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland and understand that specific to skin cancer treatment, the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offers something That's very special and cutting edge, superficial radiation therapy, or SRT. SRT is an alternative to surgical procedures for basal cell and squamous cell skin cancers. SRT is revolutionary. It's a non-surgical skin cancer treatment that's safe and effective. You see, having skin cancer doesn't mean having to have surgery and the downtime and side effects that go with surgery. You have options. Understand that a non-surgical option in SRT is available. Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer SRT, unlike many other dermatology practices in the area, and SRT is covered by most insurances. To find out more, call 301-396-3401. Make sure you tell them that Al Galdi sent you. That phone number again is 301-396-3401 or visit midatlanticskin.com. That's midatlanticskin.com. Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland, nationally recognized for treating skin cancer across the Mid-Atlantic region. It's the front five. My five biggest takeaways off the Washington football team falling to two and five with a 24-10 loss at the Green Bay Packers on Sunday afternoon. Takeaway number three, Washington's defense was decent. That's it. That's as far as I'm willing to go. Decent, non-offensive, not a disaster, just decent. You in no way can say that Washington's defense was great. You can't even say that Washington's defense was good. But the defense was decent, especially considering that the defense was without its top corner, at least in theory, in the struggling William Jackson III, who was inactive due to a knee injury. That said, Washington's defense still had a number of problems in this game. I'm already a little annoyed at how many people are singing the praises of Washington's defense in this game. 
That, to me, is as much of an indictment of this defense as anything, that the bar has been lowered so much to where people are actually trying to say that this was a good defensive performance. This was a decent defensive performance. There's a difference there. Washington allowed the Packers to go 6 of 12 on third downs. That's not good. Washington got carved up by Aaron Rodgers, who went 27 of 35 for 274 yards, three touchdowns and no interceptions, and had two carries for 17 yards, including a big 15-yard scramble. That's not good. The defense was decent. Uh, Here was Ron Rivera, by the way during his post-game press conference on Sunday, just gushing over Aaron Rodgers. This is one of the elites, man. And, uh, you know, he showed it. I mean, he, 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 he read us a couple times perfectly, and, and he threw the perfect ball. He threw the back shoulder one time. The other time he took the high, he, he took the high ball against one of our other uh, matchups. I mean, that's why the dude's special, man. That's why he is special. Now, remember, Ron went to Cal, Rodgers went to Cal, so they have that connection. But you know what? Ron isn't wrong about what he said there about Aaron Rodgers. The guy is special. He is an all-time great. And Washington's defense gave it up to Rodgers in this game. That said, there were some good things from Washington's defense in this game. Again, the defense was decent. Uh, Washington held the Packers to 24 points. I think you sign up for that if you're a Washington fan going into this game, knowing what we've known about this defense. Uh, Washington held the Packers to just 5.74 yards per play. That's an acceptable number. Uh, Washington had three sacks and six quarterback hits. Really good performances, I thought, from Montez Sweat and Jonathan Allen. Sweat finished with a sack, three quarterback hits, and a forced fumble. Allen finished with two sacks and three quarterback hits. And Washington continued to do a good job against the run. When we talk about Washington's defense struggling this season, it really is against the pass. Washington against the run has actually been one of the better defenses in the NFL. And Washington in this game held Packers running backs, Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon, and Kylan Hill to a combined 12 carries for just 27 yards. But there were a number of bad moments for Washington's defense. The Packers' first offensive drive was the first offensive drive of the game. 13 plays, 75 yards, consumed 7 minutes, 49 seconds off the clock. This was another opening offensive drive for a Washington opponent this season that resulted in a touchdown. This drive resulted in Aaron Rodgers' first quarter, fourth and three, 17-yard shotgun touchdown pass to receiver Devontae Adams on a broken play on which Rodgers delivered the football off running to his right while throwing across his body. The ensuing extra point gave the Packers a 7-0 lead. By the way, how about this from Ron during his postgame presser on Sunday? Somebody on Washington's defense screwed up big time on that Rodgers touchdown pass. Take a listen. You know, on one of the scrambles, we had a guy that was supposed to contain on pass, and he didn't use his cop technique, and unfortunately... Aaron gets out and he throws it across his body to Devontae, and Devontae catches it for the touchdown. If we're disciplined and we do our job and we finish it, we keep him contained. Yeah, another undisciplined moment for Washington's defense this season. Washington allowed Aaron Rodgers on that drive to go 7 of 8 for 56 yards and a touchdown and to have a big 15-yard scramble. Sixth half of the drive, Jamin Davis failed in an attempted tackle of tight end Mercedes Lewis on an Aaron Rodgers second and 10 12-yard under center completion to Lewis. The ninth snap of the drive. Washington, one snap 
after a Montez Sweat second and one sack for a 10-yard loss, gave up an Aaron Rodgers third and 11, 15-yard shotgun scramble up the A-gap as Washington's four defensive linemen all rushed too far up the field, allowed for the wide open space. Again, undisciplined defensive play. The Packers' fourth offensive drive, nine plays, 72 yards resulted in Aaron Rodgers' third and five, 10-yard shotgun back shoulder throw touchdown pass to receiver Alan Lazard, who beat Danny Johnson with 15 seconds left in the second quarter. Ensuing extra point gave the Pack a 14-7 lead. Fourth snap of the drive, Washington gave up an Aaron Rodgers' third and two, 13-yard shotgun completion to receiver Alan Lazard, who beat Danny Johnson. Remember, Danny Johnson active and playing with William Jackson the third inactive due to his knee injury. We had not seen Danny Johnson play on a single defensive snap for Washington in two years. He had not played on a defensive snap for Washington since the 2019 season. Uh, the Packers' fifth offensive drive started at the Washington 27, thanks to Taylor Heineke's early third quarter loss fumble. On the second and four sacks, trip resulted in Aaron Rodgers' third quarter, third and three, 20-yard shotgun touchdown pass to tight end Robert Tunyon, who beat Jamin Davis in suing extra point gave the Packers a 21-7 lead. Are you noticing, by the way, how many big plays came on third downs? Washington's third down defense continues to be such a problem this season. Yet the Packers' seventh offensive drive, nine plays, 75 yards, resulted in Mason Crosby's fourth quarter 39-yard field goal for a 24-7 Packers lead. Third snap of the drive and the final snap of the third quarter on a first and 17 at the Packers' seven. Kendall Fuller, had tight coverage on receiver Devontae Adams, but Adams made a really nice catch over Fuller on an Aaron Rodgers 26-yard shotgun completion to Adams. Sixth snap of the drive, Washington gave up an Aaron Rodgers third and four, 25-yard shotgun completion to tight end Robert Tunyon. Seventh snap of the drive, Benjamin St. Juice committed a totally unnecessary first and 10 25-yard pass interference penalty and covering receiver Devontae Adams. The pass certainly looked like it was going to be incomplete. The P.I. was not needed. St. Juice committed the P.I. and the Packers got the first down. So way too many bad moments to call this a good performance by Washington's defense. Again, decent is the word I am willing to use. Decent is as far as I'm willing to go. Like I said, there were good things from Washington's defense in this game. That Packers' first offensive drive, yes, it resulted in the Aaron Rodgers' fourth and three, 17-yard shotgun touchdown pass to receiver Devontae Adams, but you did have the Montez Sweat sack on that drive. A snap of the drive, Montez Sweat abused right tackle Billy Turner on a second and one sack of Aaron Rodgers for a 10-yard loss. The 12th snap of the drive, the snap right before the touchdown, Danny Johnson made a big tackle on an Aaron Rodgers' third and three shotgun completion to running back Aaron Jones for no gain. The Packers' second offensive drive resulted in a first quarter three and out. The second snap of the drive, Chase Young, who, yes, Chase Young, uh, batted the ball with his left hand onto the Aaron Rodgers' second and eight shotgun incompletion intended for tight end Robert Tunyon. Third snap of the drive, Jonathan Allen blew right by center Lucas Patrick on a stunt for a third and eight sack of Aaron Rodgers for a 13-yard loss. This was the play on which Chase Young got poked in his right eye although he ended up coming back into the game. Packers' third offensive drive resulted in the Tim Settle block of a Mason Crosby second quarter 34-yard field goal attempt. Seventh snap of the drive on a first and 10 at the Washington 14. Jonathan Allen with a sack of Aaron Rodgers for a four-yard loss as 
Allen beat left guard John Runyon. Ninth snap of the drive and the snap right before the block field goal attempt on a third and 12 at the Washington 16. Montez Sweat had a quarterback hit on an Aaron Rodgers shotgun incompletion. Packers' sixth offensive drive started at the Packers' one Resulted in a third quarter three and out. Four snap of the drive. Danny Johnson, a forced fumble that the Packers recovered as Johnson tackled running back A.J. Dillon and dislodged the football on an Aaron Rodgers third and seven four-yard shotgun completion to Dillon. Yeah, we saw Danny Johnson a good bit in this game. Packers' seventh offensive drive resulted in a Mason Crosby fourth quarter 39-yard field goal for the 24-7 Packers lead the 10th snap of the drive. Chase Young drew a third and 10, 10-yard illegal use of hands penalty on right tackle Billy Turner that Washington interestingly accepted, giving the Packers a third and 20 as opposed to a fourth and four. But the Washington defense ended up holding the pack on the drive uh, to the field goal. And then on the Packers, eighth offensive drive on a first and 10 for the Packers at their 37 in the fourth quarter with Washington trailing 24-7. Montez Sweat forced a fumble that Landon Collins recovered on a two-yard under center handoff run by running back A.J. Dillon. By the way, speaking of Landon Collins, he ended up being Washington's leading tackler in this game. Seven tackles, all of them solo tackles, in addition to him having that fumble recovery. Here was Ron Rivera during his post-game press conference on Sunday on Landon Collins playing linebacker in this game, or at the very least, playing more as a downhill, in-the-box player in this game. I loved his role. That's I loved his role. That's what I believe the young man does and does well. You saw him run through the line a couple times, make plays at or behind the line of scrimmage. Um, you saw his ability to, to get outside and turn the ball back inside. Um, you saw him in pursuit. Uh, I thought he did a nice job in his coverage drops. I think there's a couple things. That's, the more he, he works at it, the more comfortable he gets at it. I, I think he's, you know, I mean, I thought he's, 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 he was productive. And, and, and that's kind of where we see it. Yeah, things were better for Washington's defense in this game. But it is all relative, my friends. This defense was supposed to be great. It has not been great. Not close to great. Not one time this season. Well, we always hope that things are going great in your life, but we know that it's not always the case that things are going great in your life. Bad things happen, and I want to tell you about a law firm that is ready to represent you if you've been wronged. Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace handles complex personal injury, medical negligence, and wrongful death cases. The services of Paulson and Nace are available in D.C., Maryland, and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace is a family law firm. The Naces are DMV through and through, big Washington football team fans. Paulson and Nace has decades of experience trying cases to jury verdicts and fighting for those injured through no fault of their own. Barry Nace and Chris Nace are both past presidents of the D.C. Trial Lawyers. Matt Nace is a member of the board of the D.C. Trial Lawyers and has just tried two cases in D.C. Look, I've known the Naces for 25 plus years. These are good people and smart people who are excellent at what they do. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. It's very simple. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel as if you've been wronged, if you have a complex personal injury, medical negligence, or wrongful death case, or you think that you may have one but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Yeah, you're obligated to nothing. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule a no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. 
Paulson and Nace. When tragedy happens, let their family take care of yours. It's the front five. My five biggest takeaways off the Washington football team falling to two and five with a 24-10 loss at the Green Bay Packers on Sunday afternoon. Takeaway number four, Terry McLaurin had a big game uh, with a big drop. It's tricky with Terry because overall, you love the production, but the drop really sticks with you. I know it does for me. So Terry ended up with seven receptions for 122 yards and a touchdown on 12 targets. Excellent numbers, right? Washington's first offensive drive, eight plays, 83 yards, resulted in the Taylor Heineke first quarter, first and 10, 40-yard shotgun play-action touchdown pass to Terry McLaurin on a 50-50 ball by Heineke. You know, we saw Washington miss on those 50-50 opportunities on deep passes in the loss to the Chiefs at FedEx Field the previous Sunday afternoon. Washington very early in this loss at the Packers connected on a big 50-50 ball play. McLaurin making that play, ensuing extra point, tied the game at seven. And also on that drive was another Heineke-McLaurin connection. Seven snap of the drive and the snap right before the touchdown. Taylor Heineke, a first and 10, 12-yard shotgun play action completion to a wide open Terry McLaurin on a pass that was high. Uh, yet Washington's sixth offensive drive resulted in a third quarter turnover on downs. But the sixth snap of that drive, Taylor Heineke, a second and six, 28-yard shotgun play action completion to Terry McLaurin, who broke through an attempted tackle by safety and Maryland product Darnell Savage. Washington's ninth offensive drive resulted in Chris Blewett's fourth quarter 45-yard field goal that cut Washington's deficit to 24-10. The first snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, a first and 10, 19-yard Shotgun completion to Terry McLaurin on a nice catch and run. Washington's second offensive drive resulted in Chris Blewett's second quarter 42-yard field goal attempt that was blocked. The third snap of that drive, first snap of the second quarter, Terry McLaurin drew a third and eight 19-yard pass interference penalty on corner Rasul Douglas. Now, that call certainly appeared to be a gift from the officials, but whatever. We'll take it. Terry McLaurin drawing the P.I. That was the snap, by the way, on which Deami Brown got banged up, but we also had this Terry McLaurin drop. Washington's seventh offensive drive resulted in a late third quarter turnover on downs. The sixth snap of the drive on a third and two at the Packers three. Terry McLaurin with a drop in the end zone on a Taylor Heineke shotgun incompletion on a broken play. Wasn't necessarily an easy catch that McLaurin was trying to make, but that was a very catchable ball, and McLaurin didn't make the catch. Here was McLaurin during his post-game press conference on Sunday on the drop. Yeah, that was a, that was a scramble opportunity. Um, I felt like Taylor did a good job of uh, keeping the play alive. I was just trying to mirror him. Um, you know, I kind of dove a little early and um, didn't make the play, and that's on me. Um, when you get those opportunities to make those tough catches and contested catches, we got to do that, including myself. So I don't let myself off the hook for that at all. Um, I felt like um, that was a, a chance for us to really kind of get that lid off of, of off the rim per se. And um, you know, I'm I'm gonna do a better job going forward of that, especially when your quarterback is making it happen back there is just he needs myself and the other playmakers to be able to make those tough plays in the red zone yeah typical Terry McLaurin right there accountable no excuses that's why Terry is Terry and takeaway number five Antonio Gibson's fumbling now is officially a major concern it may have already been a major concern for you it's certifiably is a major concern now. So Antonio Gibson, we know, is at less than 100% health. He was listed as questionable for this game 
due to his shin ailment. By the way, regarding that, so Gibson on October 8th in a post-practice press conference had revealed that the shin injury had been a stress fracture. Well, ESPN NFL insider Adam Schefter on Sunday morning reported that Gibson has spent the early part of this season playing with a hairline fracture in his shin, and it also dealt with a shin area bone bruise. Now, some of this is just repeating what we already knew. A hairline fracture is the same thing as a stress fracture, but we did not necessarily know that there were two different shin injuries, as Schefter outlined in his reporting on Sunday morning. Suffice it to say, the Gibson shin has not been in a good way for most of this season. So I think we have to acknowledge that when we talk Antonio Gibson. He, in this loss at the Packers, had 14 carries for 51 yards. That's just 3.64 yards per carry. And he had another fumble. He had two receptions for five yards on two targets. So the fumble, what was Gibson's fourth fumble in seven games this season? Washington's seventh offensive drive resulted in a late third quarter turnover on downs. The first snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson had a first and 10 six-yard shotgun handoff run. You love that. But the fourth snap of the drive, on a first and 10 at the Packers 11, Antonio Gibson had a fumble on a five-yard under center handoff run. The ball was initially ruled to have been recovered by safety and Maryland product Darnell Savage. But Ron Rivera challenged the play, and the ruling was correctly changed to Chase Rullier having recovered the football. Big recovery there by Rullier, but the fact that he had to make that recovery to begin with is the problem. Antonio Gibson with another fumble. And obviously, that's a real big issue for a running back. We know that running backs can overcome having fumbling problems. Maybe the most prominent example of a running back overcoming a fumbling problem was the Virginia product Tiki Barber of the New York Giants, who had a major fumbling issue early in his career, ended up becoming a super productive running back, especially in games against Washington. So it's not like this is impossible to fix for Antonio Gibson, but this is something that needs to be fixed here. Antonio Gibson is coughing up the football way too often. And, you know, he also has had an issue with drops in the passing game. Ball security is a thing right now for Antonio Gibson. Now, he did have some good runs in this game. Washington's first offensive drive, eight plays, 83 yards, resulted in the Taylor Heineke first quarter, first and 10, 40-yard shotgun play action touchdown pass to Terry McLaurin. The sixth snap of that drive was a key run by Antonio Gibson, a third and one five-yard shotgun handoff run. But when you talk Antonio Gibson coming off this loss at the Packers, A, the fumbling, B, the shin. Uh, Those two things are what stick with you more than anything. So there you go. The front five, my five biggest takeaways off the Washington football team falling to two and five with a 24-10 loss at the Green Bay Packers on Sunday afternoon. Takeaway number one, Washington has many problems and isn't good enough in any particular aspect to overcome these problems. Takeaway number two, Taylor Heineke was better, but wasn't good enough. Takeaway number three, Washington's defense was decent, and that's as far as I will go. Uh, Takeaway number four, Terry McLaurin had a big game with a big drop. And takeaway number five, Antonio Gibson's fumbling now is officially a major concern. Well, if your lawn is a concern, let it be a concern no more. Call Weedman if taking care of your lawn is getting in your way of enjoying your weekends, or if you're not satisfied with who is currently caring for your lawn, call Weedman. Weedman cares for your lawn so you don't have to. Weedman provides what your lawn needs to look great. Fertilization, weed control, aeration, seeding, and a variety of other services. If you don't have the time or the knowledge to make your lawn look great, no worries. Let Weedman take care of your lawn. If you're fed up, 
with who is currently taking care of your lawn, make the switch to Weedman. Weedman is a national network of locally owned franchises, so you'll receive the personal service that you deserve. Weedman answers your phone calls and emails promptly. Weedman does what it says it's going to do. When you call Weedman, you're speaking to someone in an office in your area, not someone somewhere in like the Midwest. You're not waiting for 30 minutes to speak to someone. Weedman actually has real answers that have meaning in your area. If you have, say, a specific area on your lawn that needs attention, Weedman will take care of that area. You're not dealing with a huge faceless corporation that treats you like a number. Now, a beautiful spring lawn starts now in the fall, and so Weedman is offering something special to listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. A fall tune-up at a great price, an aeration and two fall fertilization services for just $209. That's about $100 off the usual price for those services. That price is a steal. That price applies to lawns of up to 6,000 square feet. So here's what you do. Call 571-340-3400. When you call, make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast so you get the special deal. Again, an aeration and two fall fertilization services for just $209. You get about $100 off the usual price for those services. That phone number again, 571-340-3400. And make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast so you get the special deal. You can also Google Weedman and make a web request. Just make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast. Weedman, a great lawn at a great price with great personal service. All right, much more right now on the Washington football team off it falling to 2-5 and five with this 24-10 loss at the Green Bay Packers on Sunday afternoon. So let's talk about some of those Washington players who were inactive on Sunday due to injury. At receiver, Curtis Samuel was inactive for a second consecutive game due to his nagging slash never-ending groin injury, which, remember, acted up in the loss to the New Orleans Saints at FedEx Field in week five. Also inactive for Washington on Sunday was Cam Sims. He was inactive for a third consecutive game due to a hamstring injury that was suffered in the win at the Atlanta Falcons in week four. Let's put Cam off to the side, although him having been inactive now for each of the last three games does beg the question, why isn't he on the reserve injured list? But what about Curtis Samuel? Like, what are we doing here with Curtis Samuel? And You know, I get the idea of you want him to play this season, and this groin thing is a week-by-week thing, and so to say, well, he should have been placed on the reserve injured list again weeks ago is a bit of hindsight because you don't know in a given week when the groin is going to feel well again, but you know what? There's a lot about this groin injury that we on the outside don't know. Presumably, internally, Washington knows much more about this groin injury than we know. You know, like, I wonder whether groin injury is even accurate. You know, is this more of a sports hernia thing? Is this more of an abdominal thing? Like, what exactly is the nature of this groin injury, which is like the most amazing groin injury in the history of groin injuries? There will be books written about this Curtis Samuel groin injury in terms of the severity of it. I have never seen anything like this linger in my life. But what are we doing here, okay? Every week now, this guy's inactive all of a sudden again. He has played in basically one and one-tenth of a game this season. Curtis Samuel played in the win at the Falcons in week four. He then played on a handful of snaps. He played on five offensive snaps in Washington's loss to the Saints in week five. And that's it. Those are the only games in which Curtis Samuel has played this season. I'm like everybody else. I want to see the guy play. 
And I get this line that you're trying to walk if you're Ron Rivera of, on the one hand, you want to be able to use Curtis Samuel as soon as he's available. On the other hand, you don't want to keep wasting a spot on your active roster for this guy. So I don't know, maybe this coming week for this game at the Denver Broncos this Sunday afternoon at 425 is the week that will mark the return of Curtis Samuel. But at some point, Washington's got to decide, okay, is this guy going to play again this season or not? And if the answer is looking more and more like not, then put him back on the reserve injured list and stop wasting a spot on the 53-man roster on this guy. And I would say the same thing about Cam Sims with his hamstring injury. Offensive line, Brandon Sheriff on Sunday, inactive for a third consecutive game due to a knee injury, what is a reported sprained MCL that was suffered in the win at the Falcons in week four. I have made this point many times, so I'm not going to go nuts on it right now, but Brandon Sheriff continues to miss way too many games. Brandon Sheriff now has missed 19 games since the start of the 2018 season. He, since the start of the 2018 season, has played in just 36 of a possible 55 regular season games for Washington. He's played in 36 of 55 possible regular season games. He's played in just 65.5% of Washington's regular season games since the start of the 2018 season. It is nuts to say that this guy should be paid top of the market money for the guard position. And the fact that he's getting 18 plus million dollars this season under the terms of a second consecutive non-exclusive franchise tag tender. I mean, good for him, okay? I want players to make as much money as possible. But this is such an overpay. This is an overpay even if he plays in every game this season. The fact that he's already missed three games, and who knows how many more games he's going to end up missing. And even if he comes back soon, who knows when the next injury is going to pop up. You can't pay big money to people who aren't available. And Brandon Sheriff, through no fault of his own, it's not like he's soft or anything, but he isn't available nearly often enough. And Washington has gotten in so much trouble in recent years in paying big money to players who aren't available nearly often enough. And Brandon Sheriff is another one of these guys. It is nuts to me that you do have people saying, no, you got to pay him what it takes to keep him. No, you don't. Okay, no, you don't. And you know what? Wes Schweitzer has been doing just fine as Washington's starting right guard over these last three games. Wes Schweitzer has not been the problem for Washington offensively. Uh, Also, Samuel Cosme missed a second consecutive game on Sunday. He was inactive for this loss at the Packers due to this ankle injury that he suffered in the loss of the Saints in week five. By the way, Wes Schweitzer did have a penalty uh, on Sunday, although Washington overcame the penalty. Washington's six offensive drive resulted in a third quarter turnover on downs. The second snap of the drive was a Wes Schweitzer first and 10, 10-yard holding penalty, but Washington overcame the penalty thanks to a big connection, Taylor Heineke to Adam Humphreys. Uh, four snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, a second and 16, 17-yard shotgun play action completion to Adam Humphreys on a broken play uh, and off Heineke taking a shot from linebacker Jonathan Garvin. Humphreys for the game, three receptions, 36 yards on four targets. Uh, also, I want to mention J.D. McKissick. He had four carries for 22 yards and four receptions for 34 yards on six targets. You know, as Antonio Gibson continues to deal with the shin and continues to have this fumbling problem, I really do wonder if we're going to see more and more 
of J.D. McKissick in terms of the workload here. Uh, Washington's first offensive drive was the eight-play, 83-yard drive that resulted in the Taylor Heineke first quarter, first and 10, 40-yard shotgun play action touchdown pass to Terry McLaurin. The fourth snap of that drive, J.D. McKissick, a first and 10, five-yard under center handoff run. Washington's eighth offensive drive resulted in Taylor Heineke's fourth quarter, third and eight shotgun interception to corner Chandon Sullivan in the end zone for a touchback. Fifth snap of the drive, J.D. McKissick, a first and 10, eight-yard shotgun handoff run. Seventh snap of the drive, J.D. McKissick, a third and two, seven-yard shotgun handoff run. Tenth snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, a second and seven, 11-yard shotgun completion to J.D. McKissick on his screen. Some good stuff from J.D. McKissick over these last two games. Also, Washington special teams. So Chris Blewett made his not only Washington football team debut, but his NFL debut. This was Chris Blewett's first career NFL regular season game. He went one of two on field goals as Washington played its first game without Dustin Hopkins as a team's kicker since week one of the 2015 season. Think about that. Well, it was not a banner start for Chris Blewett as a Washington kicker. His second quarter 42-yard field goal attempt was blocked. Uh, So that was bad. And I wonder if Dustin Hopkins was watching this game or at least paying attention to this game, what do you think was old D-Hop's reaction to that one? Don't you think Dustin Hopkins was doing the Adam Sandler line from Billy Madison? Hey, Chris Blewett, you blew it. You blew it! Yes, that was something else. Chris Blewett blowing it on his first field goal attempt for Washington, on his first field goal attempt in his NFL regular season career. Uh, Blewett did connect on a fourth quarter 45-yard field goal that cut Washington's deficit to 24-10. How about that, though, by the way? So that field goal came with 225 left in the fourth quarter. Rod Rivera pretty clearly tapped out, okay? I mean, he conceded the game at that point, was just wanting to get Blewett some work. And so he had Blewett kick that field goal. But again, Washington down 24-7 at the time. Like, what are you doing kicking a field goal there? You need touchdowns. You need more points than three. Uh, And Ron instead has Blewett just get some work. I guess it was uh, preseason game time at that point in the game. Anyway, here was Ron Rivera during his post-game press conference on Sunday on Chris Blewett's NFL regular season debut. I thought Chris did a nice job. I, I, I did. I was pleased to see him. He drove the ball well. Um, you know, because of the situation, circumstances, a couple of times I decided to, you know, go for the touchdowns. And we could have easily kicked field goals, but that wouldn't have helped us in terms of needing points to score to, to, to get back in the game. And as for what happened on Blewett's block field goal attempt? You know, he might have drove that one um, maybe a little, a little low. It was, you know, obviously it was a, I believe it was a 42-yarder. Um, and it's something, again, as a, a first-year guy, a rookie, basically, you know, he'll, he'll get better at getting that ball up to some elevation. But at the same time, there was there might have been a little bit of penetration. He did get his hands up. But we haven't really had a chance to look at that. So that's speculation on my part. Well, Chris Blewett had a blocked field goal attempt on Sunday afternoon. And so, too, did the Packers kicker, Mason Crosby, as Tim Settle had a block of a Mason Crosby second quarter 34-yard field goal attempt to preserve a 7-all tie. This was something else. You had back-to-back drives in the second quarter that ended in block field goal attempts. Uh, The Chris Blewett block field goal attempt 
was followed by a Packers offensive drive that resulted in a Tim Settle block of the Mason Crosby field goal attempt. Uh, Tim Settle's block field goal was Washington's first block field goal since, ironically enough, Preston Smith's blocked field goal on Christmas Eve 2016. So in a game for which Preston Smith was inactive for the first time in his career, Preston is dealing with an oblique injury. Washington registered its first blocked field goal since Preston's on Christmas Eve 2016. Also with Washington special teams in this loss at the Packers, Tress Way did not punt the entire game. It's bizarre. Washington only scored 10 points in the game and yet Washington did not punt the entire game. I'd love to know that in the history of the NFL. How many times has a team scored 10 points or less and not punted the entire game? And this game ended up being the first game for Washington in which the team did not punt since a 16-15 loss at the Arizona Cardinals on November 5th, 2000. Yeah, it had been nearly 21 years since Washington had had a game in which the team did not punt, and yet we had that take place in this loss at the Packers on Sunday afternoon. But generally speaking, when you hear about a team not having punted in a game, it's because the team was just killing it offensively. You know, Washington had possession of the football a decent amount in this game, did put up some yardage in this game, but I mean, nobody was overwhelmed by Washington's offense in this game. Again, just 10 points the entire game, and yet Washington ends up not punting uh, in the game. Washington did outgain the Packers in the game 430-304. to Washington did run 70 offensive plays in the game to the Packers 53, and Washington ended up winning time of possession in the game, although not by as much as you might think, five minutes, 48 seconds, but zero punts for Washington in this game. Well, we have a lot of non-Washington football team items to get to from your D.C. Sports Weekend. I'll get to the Capitals and Wizards in a bit. Wild games for them over the weekend. But up next, college football. Bad losses for Maryland and Virginia Tech. Another thrilling win for Virginia and a more than respectable loss for Navy to the number two team in the country, Cincinnati. Hey guys, Al Galdi here. Washington football team season continues and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find Washington football team tickets because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only ticket site that you'll ever need as your go-to for all NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all of those awful service fees that the other ticket sites charge. This allows TickPick to guarantee the best prices on all of its NFL tickets. Don't believe this? Look, if you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. And so if you're looking to watch Washington live this season, get your tickets at TickPick.com slash Galdi to save $10 on your first order of Washington football team tickets. Whether you're looking to see Washington take on Tom Brady and the Bucks at FedEx Field on November 14th or want to make the trip to Vegas to watch Washington play at the Raiders on December 5th or want to hit up any of Washington's five NFC East games over the final five weeks of the regular season, 
TickPick has you covered. Again, TickPick guarantees the best prices on all of its NFL tickets. No more of those ridiculous service fees. Visit TickPick.com slash Galdi right now to save $10 on your first order of Washington football team tickets. That's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K dot com slash Galdi. That's TickPick.com slash Galdi. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products, and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. All right, let's talk college football week eight. And we begin with Maryland, which is sinking, man. Okay, Maryland is plummeting. Maryland is dropping to the bottom of the sea with the way that Maryland's football season is going. Terrapins fell to 4-3 and three with a 34-16 loss at Minnesota on Saturday. Terps are coming off their bye week, you know, two weeks with which the Terps could reflect on their recent struggles, work on the recent struggles, rest up. And despite all of that, the Terps suffered a third consecutive blowout loss off their 4-0 and start. The Maryland football season is playing out like plenty of other recent Maryland football seasons. An encouraging start and then like a total collapse, and we'll see if this proves to be a total collapse, but it sure feels like a total collapse uh, right now. This game in Minnesota, to me, was a test of whether the Terps are coming apart at the seams or just aren't good enough to hang with the elite of the Big Ten. Because remember, the Terps' two previous games had been losses to top 10 teams. The 51-14 loss to 
Then number five, Iowa at Capital One Field at Maryland Stadium in College Park on October 1st. And the 66-17 loss. Then number seven, Ohio State on October 9th. Well, the Terps on Saturday got ripped at, you know, a decent but far from spectacular Minnesota team. Terps got outscored in the second half 17-6. The Terps' defense was horrendous. The Terps got demolished on the ground, allowed Minnesota running backs Kai Thomas and Marquise Irving to combine for 36 carries for 244 yards and two touchdowns. That's 6.78 yards per carry. The Terps in the game got outrushed 326-79. The Terps allowed Minnesota quarterback Tanner Morgan to go 8-12 for 125 yards, registered no sacks. And the Terps allowed Minnesota to go 7-12 on third downs. And you look at the Maryland offense, you know, Terps are without receiver Dante Demas Jr., without receiver Jay Sean Jones, each guy done for the season due to a leg injury. And so the Terps passing game just did not do much. You know, quarterback Talia Tungavailoa has really come back down to earth. He in this game went 17 to 27, but for just 189 yards, that's seven yards per pass attempt. He had a touchdown pass, no interceptions, was sacked twice, but he had a big first quarter loss fumble. And just the overall offensive output for Maryland was just not good. And the Terps were undisciplined. They had eight accepted penalties for 79 yards. Head coach Mike Loxley during his post-game press conference. I mean, I'll start this off by saying that obviously today was not good enough. Uh, Not good enough from a coaching standpoint, uh, not good enough from a performance standpoint. You know, we say oftentimes say that it's our jobs as coaches to teach and demand, and it's the player's job to prepare and perform, and we didn't get that done today. And, you know, for us to have two weeks to prepare for this game and to come out and execute the way uh, we did was very, very disappointing. And, uh, you know, what we've got to do is figure out uh, how to get this thing fixed because we've got a great opportunity, obviously, next week with homecoming, uh, being back in the shell against Indiana. But as I told our team, you know, come Monday, we're going to coach whoever shows up that has the mindset that they, they, they have enough pride to get this thing fixed because right about now, uh, pride comes into play. When you let a team rush for 300 yards uh, and at will, uh, again, the drops on the offensive side of the ball, um, the penalties continuing, you know, these are all things that every week we keep talking about and either we got to get it fixed or we got to get those guys out of the game, off the field. And again, and it's not just the players, coaches too. We, we, we need to do a better job, like I said, teaching and demanding it, and we'll get that done. Yeah, and all of that sounds great from Locks, but uh, he has talked that way before and the results are not changing. And so as time goes on here, what you're trying to figure out with Mike Loxley is, okay, we know he's a great recruiter. I think it's pretty safe to say he's a bright guy, like he was Nick Saban's offensive coordinator at Alabama. You can't be adult and be Saban's OC, but is Mike Loxley truly a good head coach, truly a good leader of a team and leader of a program? And that's still to be determined. Next up for the Terps, their homecoming game, Uh, home to Indiana this Saturday at noon. How about Wahoo Virginia, now 6-2, a 48-40 win over Georgia Tech at Scott Stadium in Charlottesville on Saturday night. This was another Virginia game this season that was like drunk, okay? But this was another Virginia victory. Uh, Cavaliers won their fourth consecutive game and proved a 4-2 and two in the ACC off an 0-2 start in conference play. Cavs overcame a 13-0 first quarter deficit, and the Cavs' offense was sensational, okay? The Cavs amassed 636 total night yards of offense, the sixth most 
total net yards of offense for the Cavs in a game and program history. The most total net yards of offense for the Cavs in a game. Since November 2010, the Cavs averaged 8.7 yards per play. That's outstanding. The Cavs went 7 of 11 on third downs. Now, the Wahoos won despite their defense being abysmal. Uh, This Virginia defense you cannot trust. And sure enough, in this game, the Hoos allowed Georgia Tech to rack up 570 total net yards of offense, allowed Georgia Tech to go 6-13 of on third downs, and the game was in doubt until the end. The game wasn't decided until its final play, which was a Hail Mary pass by Georgia Tech that Hoos safety Joey Blount knocked down in the end zone. But still, this was another Virginia win, and that's due in large part to the Cavs quarterback, Brennan Armstrong, who had another outstanding performance. You could argue this was his best performance of the season, and that's saying something given the season that Armstrong is having. Armstrong in this game went 29 of 43 for 396 yards, four touchdowns, and no interceptions. He took just one sack, and he had 12 carries for 99 yards and two touchdowns. And if you watch the game, I mean, you tell me, but I think Armstrong's running as much as his passing, maybe even more than his passing, stood out in this game. Armstrong's 99 rushing yards were the most by UVA player so far this season. And keep this in mind, Armstrong had the 99 rushing yards despite having dealt with an knee injury recently. Uh, Armstrong accounted for 495 yards of total offense, 396 passing, 99 rushing, the second highest single game total in program history in terms of total offense for a single player. Armstrong has the record for that mark. Armstrong in the 59-39 loss at uh, then number 21 North Carolina on September 18th accounted for a program record 538 yards of total offense. But Armstrong in this win over Georgia Tech on Saturday night, two second quarter, third and five touchdown passes to receiver Dontavian Wicks, including a 77-yard shotgun touchdown pass to Wicks, who caught the ball at about the UVA 30, made a Yellow Jackets defender miss on an attempted tackle, and then raced 70 yards for the touchdown. Armstrong had two third-quarter touchdown runs, a third-and-goal four-yard shotgun read option touchdown run, and a first-and-10 14-yard shotgun touchdown run. Armstrong in the second quarter had a first-and-10 45-yard shotgun read option run. Like I said, Armstrong with his legs was as lethal, maybe even more lethal than Armstrong with his arm. Uh, You cannot say enough about the season that Brendan Armstrong is having. What he's doing is not getting enough attention. Head coach Bronco Mendenhall during his post-game press conference on whether Armstrong has played a cleaner game as a UVA quarterback in terms of his games at Virginia. And then you'll hear a follow-up exchange regarding Armstrong. It's hard to imagine. Uh, I don't remember one if he has. Bronco, um, I think Brennan is like 350-some yards off of the uh, school record for most passing yards in the season. And I, I don't know if he gets a lot of respect nationally. Do you think he gets enough respect nationally for what he's done so, so far this season? Yeah, I, I don't. Um, so I don't read any of the, the media um, or, or I, I don't pay attention. It's nothing personal. Um, but I'm coaching my team, right, and the rest is nothing I can control. And if he's not... I don't know how come, and I don't know what else you have to do or what other numbers you have to put up or how else you have to lead the team or lead a team. So, yeah, if he's not, I don't know how come. Yeah, Brennan Armstrong through week eight is number one in the FBS in passing yards at 3,220. 
is number 15 in the FBS in ESPN's total QBR at 76.2 and has 23 touchdown passes versus six interceptions. Plenty of other offensive heroes for Virginia on Saturday night. Who's receiver Dontavian Wicks had six receptions for 168 yards and two touchdowns on 11 targets. Who's receiver Keaton Thompson, nine receptions for 89 yards on 12 targets and seven carries for 65 yards. And who's running backs Wayne Taulapapa and Devin Darrington combined for 11 carries for 76 yards. A lot of offense in this game. Next up for Virginia at BYU this Saturday night at 10-15. So the good times continue for Virginia. The bad times continue for Virginia Tech. You know, going into the season, I thought that a legitimate question was, which team is better, Virginia Tech or Virginia? Each program had gotten to a point to where it was no longer a slam dunk that Tech was the right answer. Well, right now, is there anyone on the planet who would argue that Tech's the right answer? Virginia Tech fell to 3-4, and four, a 41-36 loss to Syracuse at Lane Stadium in Blacksburg on Saturday afternoon. A terrible loss for the Hokies. They were facing a Syracuse team that came into the game 0-3 in the ACC. The Hokies got outscored in the fourth quarter 21-10 and losing their third consecutive game. And yes, the walls now have closed in even further on Hokies head coach Justin Fuente. I mean, if this guy isn't fired coach coaching, I don't know who is. The Virginia Tech football official Twitter account is at Hokies FB. Uh, among the many responses to at Hokies FB's simple benign tweet of the final score of the game, quote, Syracuse wins 41-36, end quote. If Justin Fuente isn't fired tomorrow or Monday, I swear, and then about a billion exclamation marks, uh, is it possible to permanently ban Justin Fuente from ever stepping foot in the greater Blacksburg area? I hate that every time we're ahead by less than 10 points with five minutes left, I'm certain that we will lose, and then we do. It's pathetic. And then one more. If one of your next tweets is not Fuente relieved of coaching duties or Fuente and VT mutually part ways, I am just gonna snap. Uh, Yeah, right now, it just feels like there's no way Justin Fuente is back as Hokies head coach for next season, and maybe he doesn't even end up lasting the rest of this season as a Hokies head coach. We'll see. Uh, In terms of this game, Tech's defense was horrendous. Tech allowed Syracuse to go 7 of 16 on third downs, but also 4 of 4 on fourth downs. I mean, that was just brutal. Tech allowed Syracuse to finish with 314 rushing yards and four rushing touchdowns on just 45 carries, 6.98 yards per carry. And Tech got filleted by Syracuse quarterback Garrett Schrader. Now, Tech held Schrader to just 16 of 34 passing, but Tech allowed Schrader to have 22 carries for 174 yards and three touchdowns, in addition to two touchdown passes versus no interceptions. And Tech on Syracuse's game-winning drive in the fourth quarter allowed Schrader to have a fourth and four six-yard shotgun scramble. I mentioned Tech allowing Syracuse to go four, four, and fourth downs. And then two plays after the Schrader fourth and four six-yard shotgun scramble came the Schrader first and 10, 45-yard shotgun touchdown bomb to receiver Damian Alford with 19 seconds left. And this was a huge play by Schrader. He took a shot as he was throwing the football. The catch ended up being made by Alford, and then he made his way into the end zone. Ensuing extra point gave Syracuse a 41-36 lead. Just an awful give up there by the Hokies defense, and a big play made there, no doubt, 
by Garrett Schrader. Also, Tekelot Syracuse running back Sean Tucker to have 20 carries for 112 yards and a touchdown. Again, Tech's defense was really bad in this game, and it's a shame because the Hokies' offense was good enough to win. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say the Hokies were lights out offensively, but you put up 36 points. You put up some of the numbers that the Hokies put up. You should win the game. Uh, Hokies quarterback Braxton Burmeister, you know, wasn't sensational, but he was all right. I mean, it, you know, to me, it was mixed. He completed just 10 of 20 pass attempts, yes, but he threw for 177 yards. That's pretty good on 20 pass attempts. He had a touchdown. He had no interceptions, did take three sacks. But Hokies running back Malachi Thomas was a monster. 21 carries for 151 yards and three touchdowns. Hokies running back Raheem Blackshear had 10 carries for 78 yards. But none of this ended up mattering in terms of the final score. There do not appear to be any real answers here for Fuente getting this team on track. You know, Tech's season opening 17-10 win over then number 10 North Carolina in Blacksburg on September 3rd feels like forever ago. I mean, that feels like a different season at this point. Here was Fuente during his post-game press conference. I mean, that's a, that's a tough, tough, uh, tough way to lose a ball game. Really proud of our kids again. I mean, they keep putting forth incredible efforts on the field um, all the way to the end. Um, hurt for our players just because of the effort and the exertion they put out there today to find a way to be up towards the end and then fought all the way till you know the last play of the game trying to find a way to win it so uh, we'll have to get them rounded back together and get ready to go next week Yeah, you just hear it in Justin Fuente's voice, do you not? This thing ain't going well, and this thing almost certainly ain't going to end well this season for Justin Fuente. We'll see. Uh, Next up for the Hokies at Georgia Tech this Saturday at noon. You know, that's another thing. The Hokies have five games left in their regular season. Four of the five games are on the road. And then there's Navy, uh, which also lost, fell to one and six, but a 27-20 loss to number two Cincinnati at Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium in Annapolis on Saturday. Very admirable effort put forth by Navy, especially on defense. You know, the whole thing about like, oh, you tried hard but lost, so that's a win. Like, I get that that's loser talk, but I think it's different when you're talking about Navy, which is a service academy school and has so many things working against it when it comes to competing with the big boys in college football. I mean, here you had Navy facing the number two team in the country, Per the Associated Press poll, Navy as a 28-point underdog or thereabouts. And the midshipmen actually led in the second quarter 10-7, won the fourth quarter 10-0. The mids held Cincinnati quarterback Desmond Ritter to just 176 yards on 30 pass attempts, 5.87 yards per pass attempt. The mids did give up a third quarter 43-yard touchdown run to Cincinnati running back Jerome Ford, but the mids otherwise held Ford to just 47 yards on 14 carries, 3.36 yards per carry. Jerome Ford came into the game averaging 6.95 yards per carry over 102 carries this season. I talked up Ford during Goldilocks on last Friday's show, episode 172. Well, Navy ended up doing a really good job on Jerome Ford. Yes, the big touchdown run in the third quarter, but beyond that, Navy did well against Jerome Ford. The problem for Navy was that its running game was not very good. Navy's triple option rushing attack 
was largely stifled by Cincinnati. Navy totaled just 192 yards and two touchdowns on 67 carries, 2.87 yards per carry. Navy quarterback Ty Lovatai, 21 carries for 22 yards. Uh, that's not good. 21 carries for 22 yards. Did have two rushing touchdowns. Uh, went 11 of 15 passing for 116 yards, no touchdowns, and an interception. Took one sack. I tell you what really hurt Navy, a big six-point swing late in the first half. So Navy reached Cincinnati's 25, but Lovatai took a three-yard loss on a run, then took a six-yard loss on a sack. A Navy 51-yard field goal attempt got blocked. The ball was returned to the Navy 34, and then Cincinnati nailed a 52-yard field goal as time expired in the second quarter for a 13-10 halftime lead. Everything that could have gone wrong seemingly did go wrong for Navy during that sequence, and you had that six-point swing, and that loomed large, especially given the way the game ended up playing out. Head coach Kenny Amatololo during his post-game press conference. You know, 28-point underdogs to the number two team in the country, and I thought we went toe-to-toe with them, you know, and, uh, you know, and we got to bounce back, but that probably mismanaged the clock at the end. You know, it was probably my fault. Should have, coaches are telling me to just, um, you know, hold on and clock it so we could have shaved some seconds off there. You know what I mean? So bad job there, but that uh, six-point swing was huge. Yeah, so you hate to see Navy lose again. I mean, it is six losses in seven games for Navy this season, but that was a more than worthy effort put forth by the midshipmen on Saturday. Next up for Navy at Tulsa this Friday night at 7.30. All right, the Capitals will play on Monday night at the Ottawa Senators at 7. We had a whacked out Caps game over the weekend. Caps fell to 3-0-2 with a 4-3 overtime loss to the Calgary Flames at Capital One Arena on Saturday afternoon. So the Caps were like asleep in the first period, trailed at the end of the first period 3-0, then woke up in the second period. Caps won the second period 3-0. We had a scoreless third period, and then the Caps lost on an Elias Lindholm, even strength goal 246 into overtime. Lindholm had a hat trick in the game. So an up and down roller coaster type affair. Caps special teams were terrible again. This is like the one thing that's really sort of looming large here right now for the Caps. Their special teams have not been good. Caps on Saturday afternoon, 0 for 4 on the power play, and they gave up a shorthanded goal, a second shorthanded goal allowed by the Caps this season. Lindholm had a shorty 17 18 into the first period. Lindholm investing John Carlson to a loose puck in the Caps defensive zone, basically emasculated Carlson by shouldering him toward the left boards, causing Carlson to spin around above the left circle. And then Lindholm beat Vitek Vanacek on a breakaway wrister in the low slot for a 3 0 Flames lead. Also, Caps went just 2 or 3 on the penalty kill on Saturday afternoon. So I mentioned Vitek Vanacek. He was the camp starting goaltender for the fourth time in five games this regular season, but Vanacek in the first period stopped just 10 of the 13 shots on goal that he faced, and he got pulled. Yeah, Vitek got pulled in this game, got a yank from the game at the first intermission for Ilya Samsonov. Samsonov stopped 13 of the 14 shots on goal that he faced. Uh, Vanacek for natural stat trick gave up two goals on high danger shots on goal and another goal on a low danger shot on goal. Head coach Peter Laviolette during his postgame press conference made it clear that he did not fault Vanacek too much on the goals that he allowed and was, quote, trying to change the game and shake the game up. 
end quote. That's usually how a head coach will talk about having pulled his goaltender, the idea being, well, it wasn't all his fault. I was just trying to, you know, change the karma and change the momentum in the game. Still, you don't get pulled if you're playing great. And I think pretty clearly Laviolette did not think that Vanacek was playing great. Samsonov did do a nice job. Uh, Samsonov, per natural stat trick, stopped two of the three high danger shots on goal that he faced, all seven of the medium danger shots on goal that he faced, and all five of the low danger shots on goal that he faced. And Laviolette during his post-game press conference said that Samsonov was, quote, really good, end quote. Uh, Alex Ovechkin was really good again. He had an even strength goal, a secondary assist, a game high 10 total shots, and a team high tying three hits. Ovechkin's even strength goal came 18-03 into the second period. Ovi got to a loose puck in the neutral zone, skated the puck into the Caps offensive zone and scored on a wrister from the left circle to tie the game at three. And Evgeny Kuznetsov had another goal. In fact, Kuzi had a shorthanded goal and he tied for a team high with five shots on goal. Uh, Kuzi shorty came 255 into the second period, was the first of the Caps' three second period goals. Kuznetsov stole the puck away from Johnny Goudreau in the Caps' offensive zone right in front of the blue line and then scored on a breakaway wrister in the low slot. Both Ovechkin and Kuznetsov have looked great so far this season. Remember, the Caps are without Nicholas Backstrom due to ongoing rehabilitation on his hip. So that the Caps have gotten at least a point in each of their five games so far this season is pretty good. I mean, to me, you take that if you're a Caps fan. I'm a Caps fan, and I take that. All right, so the Capitals off a weekend win will play on Monday night, and the Wizards off a weekend win will play on Monday night. Wiz will be at the Brooklyn Nets at 7.30. You know, we are so used to the Wizards getting off to bad starts to seasons. Believe it or not, the Wizards are 2-0, and right? They, at 2-0, and are off to their best start since the 2017-2018 season. Isn't that something? I mean, 2-0 and isn't that big of a deal. And yet the Wizards at 2-0 and are in a territory that the team has not been in since the 2017-2018 season. And what a win that second win was the Wizards improved to 2-0 with a 135-134 overtime win over the Indiana Pacers at Capital One Arena on Friday night. The Wizards won despite being severely undermanned. Wizards were without Bradley Beal. He did not play due to a right hip contusion. Wizards remained without Rui Hachimura off him having missed the start of Wizards training camp due to personal reasons. The Wizards remained without Thomas Bryant as he continues to recover from a season-ending partially torn left ACL that was suffered This past January 9th, the Wizards in this game blew a 10-point fourth quarter lead, got a huge Spencer Dinwiddie 28-foot pull-up contested three from beyond the arc to tie the game at 123 with 33.6 seconds left in the fourth quarter, and then won the overtime 12-11, thanks in large part to a Davis Bertans 28-foot step back contested right wing three for a 134-131 Wizards lead with 34.4 seconds left in overtime. Wizards shot 52.1% from the field, including 19 of 38 on threes. You know, the Wizards shot making was not overly impressive in the Wizards season opening 98-83 win at the Toronto Raptors this past Wednesday night. Well, the Wizards were hitting all kinds of shots in this overtime win over the Pacers at Capital One Arena on Friday night. And it's a good thing because the Wizards' defense was terrible in this game, okay? Whereas the Wizards' defense was outstanding in the season opening victory at the Raptors, the Wizards' defense on Friday night was not good. Wizards allowed the Pacers to shoot 53.6% from the field, including 15 of 34 on threes. The Wizards had no answer from Miles Turner, who went 5 of 9 on threes, finished with 40 points, 10 rebounds, and three blocks. But Spencer Dinwiddie delivered. What a game 
for Dinwiddie. He nailed that 28-foot pull-up contested three from beyond the top of the arc to tie the game at 123 with 33.6 seconds left in the fourth quarter. Finished six of nine on threes and with 34 points, nine assists versus one turnover and six rebounds in 34-43 as a starter. Kyle Kuzma went five of eight on threes. He had 26 points and 11 rebounds in 38-33 as a starter. A bunch of big moments for both Dinwiddie and Kuzma in this game. Big moments for Davies Bertans in this game. I mentioned the 28-foot step back contested right wing three for the 134-131 Wizards lead with 34.4 seconds left in overtime. Bertans in the game, four of nine on threes, 17 points, and a game best plus minus rating of plus 11 in just 23 minutes, one second off the bench, Dinwiddie, Kuzma, Bertans all coming through. Montrez Harrell was impressive for a second time in as many games this season. 14 points on 4-9 shooting and 7 rebounds and 34-15 off the bench. And Haul Neto was key in this game. 6 of 8 on 2s, 18 points, 3 assists versus 1 turnover, 3 rebounds and 2 steals in 29-29 off the bench. Yes, some major bench contributions for the Wizards in this game from Bertans, Harrell, and Neto. Look, it's way too early to make any definitive statements about the Wizards this season. I mean, the record is 2-0, okay? It's not 10-0, but there has been a lot to like about what we've had going on here with the Wizards with new head coach Wes Unseld Jr. so far. All right, that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. We covered a lot of ground on this show. There was a lot to get into. Tuesday's show, episode 174, will feature much more on the Washington football team off it falling to 2-5 and five with a 24-10 loss at the Green Bay Packers on Sunday afternoon. We'll have Ron Rivera's day after the game press conference on Monday to go through. Also, all post-game Monday night's games for the Capitals and Wizards. Have a great rest of your Monday, and I'll talk to you on Tuesday. Bad balls that could be interceptions, sacks that we miss, fumbles that we don't get, just little stuff like that. Defensively, we're we're close. Offensively, we're close. As a team, we're close. But the good teams make the plays that we're not making right now. It means you're close.